Do we have your Bibles? If you will turn with me, we'll also have it on the screen. To 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. If you do not have an outline of the sermon, please raise your hand. We want you to be able to uh, follow along with us. Brother Steve will make sure you get one. This speaks of Timothy's faith and also his heritage. Paul, writing to young Timothy, said, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, And I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And certainly, Paul writes here, and of a sound mind. Reading also of Paul's writings to The church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded. Listen to what he says about Timothy. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust, Paul says, in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. As most of you know, he wrote this from prison and he was confined to the prison cells. Let me read one more text from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong one. Uh, I want to go down to 1 Corinthians. Sounded, sounded familiar. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Now he founded this church at Corinth. Therefore, I urge you in, uh, intimate with me. Uh, therefore, I urge you intimate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son of the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Reveal not only to us in our minds, but in our hearts. Speak to us. Not only inform us through the word, but transform us. We humbly pray. As most of you know, we have been talking about relationships for the last while. And I think relationships are very important. Uh, As we look at the scripture, now we've looked at at Demas. 
the relationship between Paul and Demas. We've also looked at the relationship between Mark, the young man, John Mark, and also the apostle Paul. And then we looked at the relationship Paul had with the church at Corinth. And we, we, we looked at that and, and understand how God teaches us not only about relationships, but about life itself. Now, let me say about relationships, uh, relationships must be restored before we work for God. We look at Second Corinthians and we find out in order to work for God, we find that we need to understand that uh, we need a good relationship not only with God, but a good relationship with others. Relationships must be restored before praying to God. First Peter chapter 3 talks about how we pray uh, to God uh, and our prayers are answered and our prayers are effective if our relationship with our companion, our wives, and our husbands are what they should be. And then our relationships must be restored before worshiping God. So relationships are very important. I believe that God has opened a door for all of us for his bountiful blessings. I think we've only scratched the surface for God's blessings. But if we're not careful, we hinder and we cut off those blessings simply because of our negative or our bad relationships with people. So in order for us to receive the blessings of God, in order for us to be effective in our prayer life, in order for us to be effective in our worship before him, and also in our work before him, we must have the right kind of relationship with others. It's important. So allow God to bless you. But don't shut the door that God has opened to us simply by having the wrong kind of relationship with others, especially those of the household of God. And I want to talk today about Paul's relationship with young Timothy. Notice in the introduction of your paper, Timothy's name means one who honors God. He was a native of Lystra, and Paul and Barnabas had visited in conjunction with their first missionary journey, this place called Lystra. It is very possible that Timothy heard and obeyed the gospel, having been raised to respond to God's word by his mother and his grandmother. Paul apparently wanted to help develop this young man into a faithful Christian and gospel preacher. So Timothy became Paul's son in the faith. Timothy became a close, trusted associate of the apostle Paul. And of great importance to Christians in the church at Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, and certainly other places. One of the great friendships of the Bible and one of the meaningful examples of how the older can lead the younger and how the younger can comfort the older is found in this Paul-Timothy model. Timothy traveled with Paul often in his missionary journey and in his missionary career. So it's important that we look at this relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Timothy's dad was a Greek, was a Gentile. His mom and his grandmother were Jews. His dad must have died when he was young because you hear nothing about his dad. But his mother and his grandmother taught him the Jewish tradition, taught him the scripture, the law of God of the Old Testament. And so when Paul goes, evidently, when Paul went to Lystria, 
Timothy at a very young age. Someone said about 15 years old is when he received Christ as his personal savior. And so Paul had a personal affection and love for this young man, Timothy. And he took him under his wing and he developed him, discipled him. And Timothy turned out to be one of the greatest uh, uh, young men, of certainly, of the Bible. And uh, we just learned so much from his life. Notice, first of all, no one was as dear as Timothy to the Apostle Paul. We had Demas to leave. We have Mark to leave. We even have his, had his close friend Barnabas to leave the Apostle Paul. But yet young Timothy stayed and was so true and was so faithful. Stayed by the side of Paul the Apostle. Paul mentions Timothy 24 times in his letters. And you'll find if you're studying this and want to take and use this, you'll find this in 1 Corinthians uh, 4.17. You'll find it in uh, 1 Corinthians 16.10 and also in uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 10. How that Paul often mentioned this young man, Timothy. He describes his relationship with Timothy as a son, not only working for him, but working with him. This young man, Timothy. Paul constantly prayed for Timothy. Second Timothy, we just read how that Paul, sitting along in a prison cell, says, I remember you. I remember your love. I remember the tears that we shed when we parted. And I remember to pray for you often. Let me ask you, do you have a friend like Timothy? Is there someone that you can depend on? Is there someone that's close to you, that supports you, that's faithful to you in in your relationships? The tears they shed at parting reveal the the depth of their relationship. As a young man... Timothy was faced with all sorts of challenges. But step by step, Paul instructs him. And in doing so, the Apostle Paul, for us today, and for everyone that will read this, uh, this, these scriptures, is an instruction for us. Timothy, the young man of God. Timothy became a believer after Paul's first missionary journey. Timothy's salvation experience was quite different from Paul's which was a very dramatic conversion, as most of us know how Paul met God on the way to Damascus. Timothy had received special gifts of the Spirit at the time of his ordination. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Do not let the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the elders. Paul instructs him to fan into flame the spiritual gift. That's taken from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. Listen to Paul. As he writes to him about his, his fervency and about the spirit of the Lord that uh, he has been filled with. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In other words, he's saying, keep the fire of the soul stirred. And by the way, that, that responsibility is on you and I. We are to keep that fire burning. We are to keep the fire of God alive in our lives. 
the recipient of the baptism and of the Spirit of God is to be the one that says, hey, I want to keep fanning, uh, uh, fanning the flame of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I want us to, if you will, go with me and learn some lessons as we have studied through the relationship of Paul and Timothy. Number one, notice, regardless of whether your salvation was dramatic, whether your salvation and your experience with God was a quiet time before the Lord or somewhere between, God's calls you to himself and changes your nature. If you know Jesus Christ, maybe you had a great experience with the Lord. Maybe you wept before God. Maybe you were moved emotionally as Jesus Christ came on the inside and saved you. I remember that day. Do you remember that day? Or maybe you just quietly received the Lord. And, and it was, uh, we don't know when Timothy got saved. Someone says, well, I don't know when I got saved. Someone else says, well, you got to know when you got saved. Well, you got to know you're saved. You got to know you have faith in Jesus Christ and you believe the scripture and you have put your faith and your trust in him. But it doesn't matter if you had that great experience, that emotional experience, or if your experience was somewhat sedated and, and, and laid back. The main important thing is that you know that you're saved. God called you. Number two, youthfulness should not be an excuse for ineffectiveness. As I said, he was probably about 15 years old when he started following the Apostle Paul. A lot of young people today, because of their youth, are sort of timid. He was. Timmy was timid. In fact, he was a young, listen to this, he was a very young pastor of the church of Ephesus. And yet he had to go in as a young pastor, pastor this church. And I'm sure there were older seasoned men and women in that church. And yet Paul writes to him and said, God's not given us the spirit of timidity. God has not. And I want you to know no matter how young you are, no matter uh, what experiences you've had before the Lord, God can use you for the kingdom of God. Say amen. Young people can be examples of the faith in word, in behavior, in conversation, in love, in spirit, and enthusiasm, in faith, faithfulness, and purity before the Lord. God wants us to be faithful no matter our age, no matter who we are. God is saying, be faithful to him. Look at number four under Roman numeral number three. Our inadequacies and inabilities should not keep us from being available to God. Pastor, I don't have abilities like others. I'm not able to pray like brother so-and-so. I'm not able to sing like sister so-and-so. I can't preach like this one or the other one. But I want you to know God wants to use you no matter where you are in your walk with him. I want, to, I want you to know that God desires to use you just like he did this young man, Timothy. And don't lean upon those shortcomings. All of us have them. All of us struggle with those shortcomings in life. And young man, young lady, listen to me. Let 
God's call rest upon your life just like it did with Timothy. And be obedient to that call. Don't let the devil, don't let anyone stop you from being effective for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, the Spirit's work is not automatic. It must be cultivated. Look again at 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6. Therefore, Paul writes, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid his hands upon this young man, prophesied over him. That's the reason I believe in prophesying over people. I believe that God calls us not to necessarily to direct people's lives, but to to encourage them and to substantiate those calls and those gifts that God has already placed upon them. I believe in that. And Paul said, I laid my hands on you. Now you can't let it die out. I wonder where our walk is with God today. Are we as on fire for God as we were yesterday or last week or last month or last year? Does God's fire still burn in us? Do we still have a passion for the lost? Are we still concerned about the unsaved and the unreached and the unchurched? God stir us today. God move me today. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the ministry, young or old. God help us to stir up that gift that is within us. Number six, we are being constantly filled. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Look at it. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Such spirit feel conditions. I love this statement. Are not to stop with one experience. Someone said, I received the baptism when I was such and such an age. I was filled with the Holy Ghost 30 years ago. I was baptized with the Spirit of God when I was uh, just a young man or young lady. But I want you to know we are to be baptized and we one time, but we were to be filled often with the Spirit and the power of God. God's calling us to that. God's calling, and He called Timothy to that. He said, Timothy, I want you to stir up the Spirit. And Timothy was a faithful man to this man called Paul. I looked at this sermon. And, and I could not help but think about how much Paul did love young Timothy. And the very few first verses I read into our hearing from, first, from 2 Timothy, I want you to listen to the word, I want you to look at the word remember. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as for my forefathers did, did it as without ceasing. I remember, I remember, I remember. And I think of Paul sitting along in a prison. There's no crowd. There's no cheering people that encourage him. No voices of prayer. No one else singing with him. But he's sitting along. And he allows his mind to to go to, to pleasant things. And he said, Timothy, I remember you. But I want you to know I don't only remember, remember you. I remember you in my prayers night and day. 
I think about you. He goes on to say, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful. There it is again. Being mindful of you. Being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance your unfeigned faith, your real faith, your genuine faith. Paul said, some I can't trust. Some I can't send to the churches. Some are out just for themselves. But you, Timothy, you're genuine. You're transparent. You're real. And that's the kind of friendship. That's the kind of relationship that God desires that we have. Whether it's our husband, whether it's our wives, whether it's our brothers or sisters in the church, God desires that our relationships be real and genuine. I remember your genuine faith. I remember how you stood with us and you were faithful to us. And he goes on to say, your genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. Paul didn't have to wonder. He didn't have to question. He knew that God had his hand upon this young man and he knew his faith was in God. And I'll read it again third time. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you the spirit of fear. God has not given you the spirit of timidity. Just because you're young and you're passing the church where older people are, I want you to keep your faith in God. I want you to keep your trust in God. And here's what I want you to rely on. But of power, the power of the Holy Spirit, of love, the love of Jesus Christ, and a sound mind, a genuine, faithful young man to the call that God had placed upon him. Think about that relationship. What kind of relationship do you have? What kind of relationship do I have? Relationships are important. Have your prayers been ineffective lately? One of the hardest things in the world is to pray when you're angry at your wife. That's one of the hardest things to do. If Carol and I have had a spat and I get on my knees to pray, it's so hard. I have to get up from there and go, hey, honey, I'm sorry. You find it that way. It's hard to worship when you know that there's a problem between you and someone else. It's hard to worship. In fact, God says, I want you to take that gift that you've brought to the altar, leave it there, and go make things right with your brothers and your sister. When Paul was in Troas, there was such a great outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord, and there was such a revival. Paul said, I cut it short because I wanted to know how the folks at Corinth were. They turned against him. The founder of the church. And there were major problems in the church at Corinth. And he had sent young Timothy to find out about it. And he says, I waited and I waited and I didn't meet him. So I had to go somewhere else. And I left this great revival so I could make sure that my relationship is right with you. And Sister Judy comes. Let me ask you something. Has your relationship with someone that you had, has it been broken? Has the devil worked hard to separate you and your wife and your husband? Has the enemy tried to drive a wedge between you and a brother and sister? I believe that God's in the restoration business. I believe that God's in the healing business. God wants his people. 
to be obedient to his word. So that the, the doors will open. The doors of opportunity will open. And God will lead you into that door. Don't do things to close it. The former pastor of this church, his name was Zeb Holder. He was an alcoholic. He lied about his age to get in the armed services. He had a third grade education. When he came out of service, he became a mechanic. And the whole time, God's hand was upon his life. He was at times just so isolated. And and yet God loved him and God cared for him. One day he was working on an automobile and God so spoke to him concerning carrying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went down into the woods. In fact, he spent much of his time in the woods praying. That was his prayer place. Next to a stump as he prayed to God. I think it was about 45 years old when he received Christ as his personal Savior. Got started late in life. When he accepted Christ, he, he knew there, there was more. And at work, there was a gentleman there, a black gentleman, that began to talk to him and tell him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He lived over in Hillsboro, this man did, and so he invited Brother Holder to come and visit with him. So in that house, he got on his knees and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, God's anointing. He started a church. He held prayer meetings from uh, Burlington, Graham, uh, Durham, Wake Forest, He'd pack out every building he went to. Had a tremendous gift of God. He was a big fellow. I had to ask for my wife's hand and I was so scared. Looked up at him. But he had a big heart with his big body. He loved God. He really loved God. He started a church in chapel in, in uh Uh, Wake Forest, right out of Wake Forest, between Durham and Wake Forest. It was a small building and the building was packed out. And he was so fervent for God. He'd hold revivals and he would uh, pastor the church, hold revivals and pastor the church. And there was a pastor that had come and started the church, had left, started the church in Durham and had left, had come back and when Brother Holder would hold revivals, whether it was in Sampson County or down east in uh, some of the little towns and cities, he would get different preachers to preach for him at the church. Well, this particular pastor preached for him. and So when he came back, this pastor had taken his whole congregation and moved them downtown. He had no congregation but a few people. So he goes out to the Raleigh Durham Airport, and there's a building out there, and Johnny Blake's dad, uh, Mr. Blake, 
He helped him financially get this building. And it, was not, it was not the best built building. Back then you shouted and danced and shouted and danced. The old floor would do this. But God had his hand on his life. He had so much power with God. He could read your mind. And I'm not talking about that in a negative way. He had the gift of knowledge. He'd call people out and tell them what's wrong with them. I'm not talking about that that gift was abused so much. I don't seen it work many times. I'm talking about the real genuine gift of the word of knowledge. He'd lay his hands on the sick and they'd recover. His middle daughter back then became stricken with polio. One of the worst kinds of polio you could have. They rushed her to the hospital, called Brother Holder, and on the way, he lived at it, the Raleigh Durham Airport, on the way from the Raleigh Durham Airport to Durham. God spoke to him and said, Your daughter's going to live. He walked into the hospital. And the doctors met him and his wife and was telling them. Because they had an iron lung ready for her. Her lungs was, were, was collapsing. They had to constantly keep her mouth the words she could even breathe. And they had no hope for her. They doubted Jean would ever make it. Miss Holder standing in the... Uh, corridor of the hospital was weeping and she said that's so sad she could sing so wonderful and the doctor looked at them and said I, I hate to tell you but she'll never sing again but you see God had told him your daughter is going to live and be alright she lived and she sings she's a beautiful person he lay his hands. In fact, he, he laid his hands on Brother Morris's son, little baby, where the cavity, the uh, chest lung, chest cavity was the, the was growing in. The bones was growing in. The ribs were growing in, not growing out like a normal chest. And they brought that baby up and. Brother Holder laid his hands on that baby. And you might say, I don't believe this stuff. Well, that's okay. We knew it happened. While he had his hands on his chest, his chest grew out. Brother Holder burned the candle on both ends. He held a lot of revivals and we traveled with him a lot. He... uh, pastored two churches I think about so often the vision that this man had you know the summit and New Hope and other churches have what is called satellite churches satellite churches well this is back in the 50's he had a desire for satellite churches I didn't never heard of satellite churches but he believed he was going to build church after church after church And he had two churches at that time. In fact, the corporation and the bylaws that he had set up included 
satellite churches. Had a vision. Had a vision beyond himself. Third grade education. And God taught him how to read. God taught him how to read. At the age of 57. He'd had several heart attacks. He never stopped. I remember I was raised in Sampson County and he came down to Midway. And I remember one Sunday morning he had a heart attack during the service. And he lay on the bench and all of us gathered around him and prayed for him. He got up and kept preaching. There's no telling how many heart attacks he had. He was so fervent for God. The one thing that stood out for him was God and the work of God. He moved from that church down in the uh, airport to Holloway Street. Purchased an old Jewish synagogue. It was a big old church. Had a great furnace, didn't it, Brother Morris? He kept that furnace going. He fired it up to keep us warm. Brother Morris did. The old Jewish synagogue. Some of the most powerful. Listen, some of the greatest men at that time preaching the gospel came to his church and preached. He moved from that church. He sold that church. We sold that church. $37,000 of what that church sold for. I was way back. Back in the 60s. Moved from that church to a church on South Austin Avenue Extension. Out beyond Central. You turn left and you go down. It was a frame building. And it was the Austin Avenue Baptist Church. And we purchased that church from the organization. He pastored that church and it grew and it grew and it grew. And yet he still traveled all over the North Carolina, from east to west, from north to south. One Wednesday night he was preaching at that church. Had a downstairs to it basement. And he had a heart attack while he was preaching. And he lay in the altar, crying out to God. They picked him up and carried him downstairs, got him in a car. I don't think they call I don't think they call nine one one. Got him in a car. He didn't he see he 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 trusted God. When he got to Watts Hospital, some of you remember that hospital. When he got to the emergency, they got him out of the car. He walked. He walked from the car into the emergency room. And when he walked in the door, he fell dead. He went home. Someone said, that's a sad... Yeah. Well, sad for us, happy for him. Because the God he'd preached about, the God he had served, The God he had worked for so fervently took him home. That was in 1969. 1969. I was 26 years old. 
Didn't know nothing. Thought I knew everything. Didn't know nothing. Young people think that, you know. They think, man, I'm smart. The church elected me full-time pastor. And I began to pastor the church. Let me tell you what happened. The reason I bring up this whole story. Let me tell you what happened. People knew Brother Holder all over the United States. He was one of the first to start the Full Gospel Fellowship of Churches and Ministers International. He was right there with the Gordon Lindsay's, the Jack Coe's, the A.A. Allen's, the Oral Roberts's, the John Osteen's. He was there with them. They knew him personally. And they respected him to high heaven. But when he died, there were vultures all around. I, I was in the Jack Tar Hotel in the elevator one day. And most of you, or some of you, not most of you, some of you remember the old Jack Tar Hotel downtown. I was in the elevator and there was a preacher. This preacher became very, very famous. He preached all over the United States and drew tens of thousands of people. He was on that elevator with me as a young man. He was raised in the first assembly of God here here in Durham. He looked at me and he said, I believe God wants me to be your youth pastor. I said, wow. This man turned out to be a shyster. He died of AIDS at a fairly young age. There were others that came to us. I think we need, we need to help you. We need to, in fact, there were some that wanted to pass to the church. Paul said here to Timothy, Timothy, I'm going to send you because I can't send others. You hear what he said? Can't send others. Can't even find it in my verses now. Because I want to, I want to say what he said. Here it is, Philippians. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. When he died, when Brother Holder died, there were people seeking their own. To build their own mansion. To build their own ministry. They wanted to ride on his coattail. It was something. It was amazing. God knew what he was doing. And that ministry that he started back in 1958, that's when the church, this church, became incorporated was back in 1958. Before he died, and I'll hush in just a moment, before he died, As I said, he had some of the largest ministries to come to his church and preach. So many. I led worship back then and I was just a pretty good worship leader. Whole different style than it is now. 
different songs maybe than it is now. The anointing of God was on my life and, and almost every, every minister that came by wanted me to go with them. They had the money dangling out there wanting me to go lead worship for them. And I wanted to go so bad. I received prophecies I was going to preach around the world. I was going to be around the world. I said, I know God wants me to go. And Brother Holder said, Don, just wait. I say, all he wants, all he wants is just to hold me back. I know God wants to do this. And I know God wants to do that. And they'd come by and they'd invite me to go. And they'd invite me to go. Offer me such a sum of money and all kind of things. And he'd say, wait. Let me tell you today. Many years later, I'm glad I waited. I was his Timothy. I was there. I cried with him. I sweated with him. I worked with him along with others. And I thought I knew, but he'd always say, wait a minute. He'd always teach me. But there's one thing that I could never get away from was his love for people. And Paul saw that in Timothy. He saw this young man as being real, genuine. Others wanted to do whatever, build their own castles and their own world and their own ministry. So Paul saw in Timothy that this man be just a great man. Hebrews tells us, I, I, I wrote it down somewhere, and this more than anything else makes me think that Paul wrote Hebrews. Because in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 15, Paul writes and he said, or the writer of Hebrew writes and said, Timothy will soon be set free. I'll send him to you. Timothy knew what it was not only to be in prison with Paul, he knew what it was to be in prison himself. He died. Listen to this. Timothy died a martyr's death, but he stayed true. He stayed faithful. And listen, that's what you're asking in a friend. That's what you're asking in a brother or sister. That's what you're asking in a husband and a wife. That's what you're asking in a relationship, that they stay true, faithful. Because it gets hard. It's not easy sometimes. And every person sitting here this morning can testify to the fact that you've gone through the hard times. But it means something to have somebody that will say, I'm with you. I'll hurt with you. I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. When everybody else walks away, I'm here. And that's the kind of man Timothy was to the Apostle Paul. Mark's gone. Demas is gone. Barnabas is gone. I have no one. And he says if you can come to me. One writing he had. Said in his prison epistle. If you can come to me before winter. And bring, bring my cloak. I'm cold. Timothy come before winter. I want to see you. 
And then the last writings he ever wrote, Paul talking about the greatest writer probably than ever anyone. He picks up his pen for the last time. And he writes to this young man he loves. He writes this to this young man that was faithful to him. That was not a shyster. That was not out just for what they could get. The fame and the fortune and everything that they thought perhaps goes with it. And Paul says to Timothy, keep the faith. (laughs) I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But hey, Timothy, not only for me, but for all you. There are times maybe in your relationships, maybe with your wife or your husband, I just like to walk away. Maybe you even have an excuse to walk away. Maybe you have a biblical excuse to walk away. But you don't. You stick to it. You stay true. You stay on your knees. You pray and believe God. And you wonder, hey, will I ever get a crown? Will I ever get a reward? Let me tell you, when you that are faithful in relationships gets to heaven, you're going to be in the front of the line. That's my saying, not scripturally. Be faithful. Be true. And I think scripture that we have, have read so often, I will close with this. And be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Then he says this, listen to this. Ephesians 5, 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making medley, med, melody in your heart to the Lord. That third song that Matt got to a while ago. That third song. And all of them were good. You could sense the very anointing and presence of God. It's okay to sing by yourself. I do that in the shower a lot. I sing so much driving and I sing so much that my wife and my son get aggravated at me sometimes. But it's something else to sing with brothers and sisters gathered together, lifting voices as one, worshiping and praising God. Sometimes, hallelujah, sometimes praise the Lord. means something to have brothers and sisters and loved ones together. Working together, living together. And that's what it was with Paul. 